We are The Remnant, a local church in Lake Oswego, Oregon. We value the story of scripture, the story of Jesus. Our hope is that the story would take root in our hearts. Enjoy this week's message and stay tuned afterward for more info on ways to connect. Transitioning to my sermon, it's going to be short. Everybody said amen. Okay, nobody said amen, so it's going to be long. Okay, let's try this again. It's going to be short, amen? Lex, you should be louder. You no, okay. Uh, this morning, my, my wife has been reading uh, quite a, uh, all, all through the collection of, of books by C.S. Lewis, and in preparation for Christmas, I uh, discovered that C.S. Lewis, Lewis actually wrote a Christmas uh, sermon for uh, an editorial uh, magazine newspaper, which is just crazy to think about. That in his era, he'd be allowed to publish uh, a Christmas sermon in a publication in which people would read it. Nowadays, if you were to write something like this. Um, people would freak out. It would never happen, let alone people freaking out. But anyways, his whole concept was um, where he saw the American culture heading in regards to paganism and Christianity. And uh, in the article, like I always read C.S. Lewis or I read these guys who lived in a different time in a different era, and I just realized how smart they are and how I am not intelligent even a little bit. And all I do is regurgitate what they say, come up with, think about in my own you know, dialect, I guess. But he was defining paganism and he was defining kind of that soul, the state of the soul. And I found it interesting. He says, the first group of people are those who are lost. And those who are lost are those who are sick and don't realize it. And that's one of the people groups that we try to reach is those who are lost, or sorry, those who are sick and don't realize they're sick. But the next group is what he would categorize as a pagan. It's those who are sick and know it. Now, believe it or not, at one time or another, we were all pagans. Because we go through that transition of being sick, not knowing it, to becoming, being sick, to recognizing it. And this is the moment where there's a fork in the road. And the fork in the road is this, is do we look for the antidote in Christ, who in Luke chapter 5 says, I came for those who are sick those in need of a, a, a doctor, a medical physician, in order for them to become whole. Because I'm righteousness, they can become righteous. But I think sometimes what can happen is we can recognize we're sick and we don't want to do anything about it. And so I'll just wrestle, because I also think this, I was listening to a podcast this week, and they were discussing if the Bible was literal or symbolic. And I find that a fascinating discussion because I find it both. There's definitely parts that are clearly narrative, clearly factual, but then there's a lot lot of beauty. There's a lot of symbology. There's a lot of metaphor. When David writes his psalm, he talks about the deer panting for the water. He's talking about his soul and that yearning, and there's a deeper truth there. And I think so often as humans, we want to categorize things in order to limit them. Think of your body, for example. You're both spirit and flesh. You're not one or the other, but the relationship with the two matters. If the flesh conquers the spirit, that's a problem. But what you want to have happen is your spirit to lead your flesh. Amen? Amen. And so I I think during this holiday season, I was reading during our Christmas season, uh, I was reading through Luke chapter 2 and thinking about this is that Jesus came unto us so that those who were lost could recognize their need and find wholeness and healing for their souls. And so I want to read to you, I just want to do this simply, I want to read to you Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21, and I want to show you something that I saw as a pattern. And it's something I saw that I think is is very fundamental to the biblical truth 
that Christ is trying to birth in his gospel. Austin, could you do me a favor? Could you grab me a communion cup real quick? Every Sunday, we do service around the table. The reason why we do communion before we, I preach is because one of the temptations that I think can come into the church is that church is about the pastor. It's about the charisma and the personality of the one leading the organization. And depending on his gifting and his charisma, thank you, that church will either succeed or not. But this church is not built off of my charisma, dear God, no. It's not built off of our talents. It's not built off of our production. Really at the center of what we're doing is this. The body and the blood of Christ. And do you know what I find interesting? Luke gives us that symbology in the first 21 verses of chapter 2 of his gospel. Do you know what he mentions three times in 21 verses? If you like your Bible and you want to study your Bible, I'll give you a simple little clue. If something is repeated in a short amount of time, it matters. Just a little clue. If something is repeated in a short amount of time, they're trying to communicate to you. Do you know what's mentioned three times in 21 verses? A baby swaddled, lying in a manger. The crib and the bassinet of the Savior of the world was a manger. Do you know what a manger is? A feeding trough. The Christ was born, and the first thing he lies in is where you come to eat. Before we get to the Sermon on the Mount, before we get to the breaking of bread in John chapter 6, before we get to the cross, before we get to the resurrection and the exaltation, before we get to the Passover in which Jesus breaks the bread, the symbology is this, three times in 21 verses, you want to find substance. You want to find uh, satiation for your thirst. You're going to find it in the trough. Jesus came into the earth not just for us to believe in him, but to feed on him. He could have been born in a crib. He could have been born in a bassinet. He was born in a feeding trough. And what was meant for animals to feed on, humanity would feed on for the remainder of their existence. So when Jesus, or sorry, the angels declare about Jesus, unto us a child is born, what they're declaring is it's through the spiritual realm, through the realm in which you cannot see, God is breaking through in human form. And when he breaks through, he's going to stay. And when he breaks through, he's going to conquer every enemy, the final enemy being death. When he breaks through, he's going to leave something behind. He's going to leave his spirit, but not only his spirit, he's going to leave his body and his blood to feed on. So the incarnation is not just a story of his Christology. It is a story of us eating and feeding differently for the rest of our life. The power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, the power of the exaltation lies in a feeding trough. And so we come back to this thought process and we wrestle with it. Do we recognize that we're sick? 
And do we recognize that the antidote and the medicine for the longing in our souls and in our bodies and in our flesh and in our spirit and everything in between is lying in that manger to be fed on? And so when Matthew leads us in communion, it is not a ritual. It is not in remembrance. It is the substance for my life, for our life. So now let's read Luke chapter 1, or sorry, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. In those days, I just love the Bible. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first generation when Quirinius in case you're wondering, Austin, from last week, (laughs) was governor over Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up to Galilee from the town of Nazareth to, to Judea to the city of David that is called Bethlehem. Okay, so let me tell you a couple things that happened in about three verses, four verses. We discover three things. Number one, we discover the political climate. Rome is making decisions in which Jews have to function. Can I tell you the beauty of Christianity? Here Rome is controlling the Jewish decisions. In about 200 years, it would become the epicenter for Christianity. Do you know who made the decision for this registration to happen? The Roman emperor. But do you know what he was doing without even recognizing it? He was getting Jesus to the place in which he needed to be born in order for the prophetic word to be fulfilled. Can I tell you how God works in his sovereignty? He gives you choice, he gives you free will, he invites you along the path. But can I tell you something? He lays the path out. God's plan cannot be stopped, it cannot be ceased. We can, we can make it more complicated. <laughs> we can delay the process, but God's kingdom is still moving forward. And here an emperor thought that he was ruling and reigning and having control. And all he's doing is fulfilling the very biblical prophecy that they had been waiting for. I just love this. Chapter, or verse 5. Oh, sorry. To Judea, to the city of David, which is Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came... Ah, for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there is no place for them in the end. Again, God is orchestrating where this child would be born, not only the city, but the location. Fulfilling what was prophesied. That's mentioning of the manger once. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. So remember that. The glory shone before they were even mentioning fear. I think, you know, one of the things I'm I'm constantly trying to do in my own son's lives and in my life as well is to keep the sacred things sacred. I think what happens to glory, to the glory of the Lord specifically, is we make sacred things casual and they lose their purpose. The shepherds were so overwhelmed by the glory of God, not just the angels, the glory. How do we know this is true? Because when Moses experienced the glory of God and came back down from the mountain, they were so fearful that he had to wear 
uh, oh my word, I'm going to forget the word. Uh, help me. Uh, a veil, thank you. He had to wear a veil over his face. The glory of God can be so intense, so powerful that the reaction is awe. And I think during the holiday season, we have to fight to keep the glory in the story because that's where the power is. Let's keep reading. And they were filled with great fear, and the angel said to them, Fear not, easy for you to say, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Isn't it interesting that the story, the message, can be joy for some and fear for others? The thing about the gospel and the reason why there's so much reaction to the story of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the king of Jesus, Jesus the Savior, is because there's only two reactions. There's no neutrality. If you truly see and Christ is revealed to you, you will be filled with joy. But if your eyes are blinded, it is not like, well, I don't know how I feel about him. What is in your life is actually great fear. But yet, the Lord chose shepherds. I just mentioned in the earlier verses that Joseph had to get Jesus to Bethlehem and he was being registered because he was from the lineage of David. And what was the profession of David before he was king? He was a shepherd. When you study the gospel of Luke and when you study the gospels in general, there is a commissioning for you and I to be shepherds. When you go back to Psalms 23, you discover a shepherd. When you study David as a whole, you discover that the principles of the shepherd peek through all through his kingship. Shepherds were not just chosen because they're the lowly of the low. They embodied who the Christian was supposed to emulate. Filled with such joy and compassion and love and mercy that we would look at the other children of God that roam this earth not as enemies, but as his children. Let's keep reading. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign for you. And this is the second time it's mentioned. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, with the angel, a multitude of heavenly hosts praised God, and uh, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. If you compare the wise men's story to the shepherd's story, the wise men followed a brilliant star. A bright, beautiful, brilliant star. And so when you think about it logically, you can get to the conclusion that, yeah, if there's a star leading you, that makes sense that under it there would be a king. But the first story we get is a trough. Hey, guys, you know uh, this guy who's going to absolutely flip the world upside down, like the savior, the king that you all need? You're going to find him in a trough. Do you know why shepherds are so important? Because 99% of people in professions, lawyers, doctors, probably would have been like, no, there's not going to be a king there. But the shepherds paused and go, huh. A trough is where you take livestock to eat. We don't know what kind of shepherds they were. We assume lamb, but they're probably familiar with all animals. They understood that what was waiting for them could satisfy at a hunger level what their spirit longed for. 
And so for them, when they hear this news, they're not skeptical, they're excited. I think sometimes we have to be careful during this season not to get too far off in our own imagination thinking that we have needs that are really wants and wants that are really needs. And so what we do is we go searching for something that will satisfy only to recognize that Christ was born in the humblest of moments and the humblest of situations in order to satisfy the true core hunger that exists in all of us. And when you are satisfied and you are fed, do you know what your impulse is? To lead other people to that trough. Because you know what life was like before you fed on true bread. You know what your life was like before living water. And if you truly know, and you have relationships that you care about, and they haven't tasted and seen the goodness of God, all you want to do is take them to feed. Let's finish with this passage right here. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste. I just love that word haste. It's one of the themes in in Luke. When you read his gospel, there's haste everywhere. Because when you encounter it, you go, I can't live the other way any longer. I just don't want to get there. I want to get there now. And so they make their way. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Third time. We're 17 verses in. And what did they do? And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This is, oh man, scripture. I could just like, we could just have a conversation at coffee about this. So when you study Luke chapter 1, you discover the story of Elizabeth and John the Baptist, and they get a part of the vision. When you start reading the stories, Mary gets a little bit, Joseph gets a little bit, Elizabeth gets a little bit, John the Baptist gets a little bit, right? You have all of these parts, but there are mo- there's, there's an aspect in which Mary and Joseph don't know. So, so imagine this, you're, you're getting this word from God, but you're human, right? An angel comes to you, you're going to bear a child, and the child's going to be savior of the world. Well, I know that prophetically to be true, but when it's just you and your husband, or you and your fiance, and only you two have had these words can, you know, told to you, and Elizabeth has had a little bit told to her, you kind of have that moment of going, well, 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 is this true? Am I just delusional? Did I eat something weird the night before and just had a bad dream? But the shepherds come, and the first thing they do is they say, this is, just, this is what just happened to us. This is what we experienced. And look at this. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. I don't know about you. When I read this, I was like, wait, time out. You're telling me there wasn't an aha moment when Mary gave birth to Jesus? Like the birth wasn't pain-free and just like, oh, there's something different about this child. That there was actually something the shepherds could say that they also wondered at what was happening because no one's above the need to feed on the presence of God. All of us are sick and broken. All of us at one time were pagans or lost. And Jesus whispered in your heart, in your ears, unto you I came. I came for you. 
In the midst of your sickness, in the midst of your brokenness, I came to bring healing. And at some level, can I encourage you? You all responded with a resilient yes. And so from this holiday season, our commission is to be light. Let's finish the story. And all who heard it wondered at what was the shepherds had told them, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for, they, for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. I just love for me the, you know, I, when I was a kid, I don't know if you guys had this, but my family had a specific nativity, right? A nativity scene that I would get to set up every year. I don't know what it was about the figurines, but I absolutely loved them, especially the, you know, the bull that was in the set because his horn had been broken and uh, there are springs in it. And so I can remember to this day, the horn being broken and the springs being, and you're setting it up. And, you know, you, you put all the characters together. You have the wise men. They're all wearing crowns, and they have nice gifts. But the shepherds always cracked me up, right, because they got them in rags. You know, they're, they're almost like an afterthought of the story. But they're actually at the center of the story because Jesus came, Jesus came to those first who he would re- represent in the spiritual realm. He is the ultimate shepherd. In fact, you will hear pastors say this. He is the over-shepherd to our under-shepherd. I don't give vision to the church. I don't govern the church. I'm simply, my, my, my main part of my job is to hear his voice clearly so that I can do what his will is for our church in Washington County. And can I give you the simple vision of the church? The simple vision of the church is this. And so during this Christmas season, this is what should ex- be exciting. As Grandma and, and Lori were praying about it in pre-service prayer, our, our, our mission, our assignment is, is if we have tasted and seen his goodness, there should be something in us that would want to take others to the trough to feed on his goodness. And so tonight, this is what we do. We light a candle. Because when you've tasted and you've seen, what you become is a light. And it doesn't matter what you read in the news. It doesn't matter how dark things get, and they will get dark. We've been writing about it as Christians, as long as we've been putting out publications in this culture. We knew things would get dark. We knew things would have blurred lines, and right and wrong would become confusing and subjective, and and all of a sudden you would be in relationship with people, and it's all gray. But in the midst of all of that confusion, in the midst of all of that chaos, in the midst of all of that darkness, his light still remains. And do you know what I love about John is John calls it the light of men. The life of men. Because when his light enters your life, you become a reflection of who he is. And so during this holiday season, don't beat yourself up for all of your crumminess, for all of your brokenness, for all of your impatience in the mall parking lots, all of your rolling of the eyes of the people having a thousand items, you know, at the Fred Meyers checkout line and they forgot their wallet in the car, all of the busyness, the broken budgets, all of those things that create angst and frustration. Recognize this, that the very thing the enemy wants to accuse you of is the very thing that qualifies you. And just like Caesar wanted to control a situation, he was used to bring a situation about. Do you know what the enemy does? The enemy just pushes you closer to Jesus without even recognizing it. 
And so my hope for you is whatever situation you're in, wherever your mindset is at, that you would recognize that Jesus, in his, I'm going to say it this way, the Lord saw it 2,000 years ago and sent his son into the earth so that you could experience it this morning. And so in your heart, I hope you know that he is closer than you think, he is nearer than you imagine, and you're probably not as sick as you think you are. And even if you are, he has the antidote to whatever ails you. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you're interested in connecting or attending a service in person, you can find us on Instagram at the Remnant Church PDX or our website at rmnt.church.